You're listening to the fourth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. Together, we like to overthink evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're doing a deep dive into Frank Peretti's best-selling novel, This Present Darkness. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Frank Pretty's America. Uh, today we're going to be interviewing Joshua Peace about the psychology of conspiracy theories. Well, Danielle did. Um, very interesting stuff. Very excited about that. Um, but, yeah, also just wanted to check in. Danielle, how are you doing with, uh, like, week three of quarantine and coronavirus three and a half right really only three weeks i don't know i guess it's been three weeks of me working from home so three and a half anyways it's terrible um i mean there's obviously parts that are fine like hanging out with families you know it's good for our little family uh it was interesting going back you know re-listening to this interview about conspiracy theories right uh In the time of a global pandemic is, wow, it's interesting. And I had a few revelations, which I thought was interesting, just re-listening to Joshua talk about how evangelical theology in particular is just, like, ready for a conspiracy theory at all times. So I don't know if we want to talk about this before the interview. Maybe we should, like come on at the end and talk okay yeah that, that makes sense yeah totally okay so everybody you listen to this episode you listen to this interview um with writer joshua pease and then me and Kristen will jump on at the end to talk a little bit more about conspiracy theories and uh yeah i, I actually wanted to discuss like one uh one thing at the end too so yeah. hang tight and we'll see you at the end Right. And just a quick heads up, this has been throughout the whole series, but there is, of course, we're talking again about sexual abuse allegations comes up in this interview. and just wanted to give a trigger warning about that because it's just difficult things to talk about. Okay, I'm so excited today to talk with Joshua Pease, who... We'll be able to, to explain, you know, some of the writing he's been doing and his work intersects in various ways with Frank Peretti and the book This Present Darkness. I will say we've had many troubles trying to connect for an interview, <laughs> which I think means this is going to be a really good interview because it's probably demons, right? Trying mm-hmm. to keep us apart. Is that right, Josh? 100%, which I think speaks very highly to the importance of our podcast. That oh, yeah. There's... Yeah. Or it's also possible sometimes the angels sabotage things to try to get you to do what you're supposed to do. So maybe we shouldn't be doing this at all. It's hard to say. Oh, it's so hard to say. Uh, (laughs) So so Josh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So um, I am a freelance writer. And then I also, as of about six months ago, I work part-time for a church here in the area as well. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to pursue a career writing about some of the stuff I've written about. It just kind of, uh, I mean, 
I found myself due to my own background and some things happening in my life and then a string of, I mean, probably pretty providential things, writing about um, sexual abuse in the evangelical church. I did that for Washington Post, New Republic, Christianity Today, Relevant Magazine, um, and then have written a bunch of other things about random topics, including most recently, Why Our Brains Love Conspiracy Theories. And weirdly, as I was um, thinking about this podcasting and ready for it, I realized all of this stuff really neatly intersects with the topic of this present darkness. It's really, actually really wow. fascinating in ways I'd never thought of before. You were born to talk about this present darkness. So everything I'm, in our lives has led to this moment. Yes, ex- exactly. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> so first of all, I want to ask you, what is what is your religious background and yeah. did you read Frank Peretti books as a kid or a teenager, young adult, what's, what's your, how does your religious background intersect with that book? Yeah. I'm like the prime target in a lot of ways. I think I I grew up Southern Baptist, evangelical Bible belt. Um, It was Missouri, but very much kind of the Southern Baptist Bible belt version of Missouri. And I read this present darkness when I was probably in maybe sixth grade, something like that. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, living a, a, kind of growing up with a very a fairly sheltered upbringing in terms of what books or movies or television shows or whatever I'd been really exposed to you know for the first time I'm reading this book and it's like this this there's this mystery to it and it's it's you know it's got angels and demons it's got all this stuff and I'm just like oh whoa I've never you know I've never encountered anything like this and was fascinated by it and so I I probably read that book uh, I, I read This Present Darkness several times, three, four times, probably. Piercing the Darkness, for whatever reason, I probably read 10 to 12 times and um, read a lot of his other books for a few years and then kind of fell off. But then, like, you know, the Left Behind series, all that. So I have, like, been at, like, ground zero of all of, like, the major evangelical books that have, like, hit since the late 80s, early 90s, I guess. Yeah, so you were the target audience. I think you're right that most of us, if we grew up really sheltered, which I also did too, but more Mm -hmm. in sort of the Western half of the United States. And so, yeah, I could only read like Christian fiction like Jeanette Oak. And so Frank (laughs) Reddy is quite the step up from, you know, basically Amish pioneer lady fiction <laughs> to angels and demons. So I think that's why it's so impactful. I also was With 11. No, no shade intended towards <laughs> No, but even when Amish I was like 10, I was like, this is a little boring. And Frank Freddy is not boring. Whatever he is, he's not boring. I think and that's I, a fair I don't yeah. necessarily think it's for sixth graders, though, hmm. in retrospect. <laughs> In retrospect, a lot of things I was being exposed to probably wasn't healthy for a sixth grader. But but I love that our parents were like, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, because it's Christian. Totally, and that's I I mean that's kind of the funny thing about uh, our upbringing when you look back on it, right? Is the things that weren't acceptable or were scandalously dangerous and to be avoided at all cost, and then the things that were kind of like okay you know and so it's like anything that would have any hint of sexuality should be avoided at all cost but then violence was never uh, overly concerning in my household growing up and then things like the idea that you know we live in this world where the powers that be are against you and are out to get you and there's these demons it's like yeah sure have at it and which now i'm like well probably could have used a little instruction with all that but yeah, so let's get into that then. So you brought up, you know, 
part of this book is this idea that there's these angels and demons that are at war for this small town of Ashton and, um, you know, humans have an element and a role to play in deciding which entity is going to win. And yeah, so I kind of wanted you to maybe just flesh out a little bit for us conspiracy theories because i think a lot of us talk about that but most of us probably don't think we believe them or are drawn to Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you've been doing some research on this so i wonder if you could just tell us what a conspiracy theory is and why we're drawn to them yeah absolutely i mean this has been kind of like my pet topic as i was working on this article for popular mechanics it's really interesting i didn't know a ton about it until i started the process of, of researching this article but um the shorthand for this whole conversation about conspiracy theories is that our brains are wired um, to be skeptical, basically. Our brains are at their core. The human brain just in general is inclined toward thinking there's danger that's probably just out of sight. We always need to be on guard for it. We always need to be looking for it. Um, and our brains are also wired for pattern recognition. Um, we want to make sense of our surroundings around us quickly. We want everything to fit into neat and tidy boxes. So our brains want like both suspicion and they want simplicity. And that's kind of problematic <laughs> because life gives us a lot of reasons to be afraid. Uh, and life is also super, super complex. Uh, and so what we do is we like, we grab hold of shortcuts that make our brains feel better. We want a mm-hmm. simple explanation for life. Even if that explanation is kind of horrifying, it makes us feel better because at least we know where the danger is. Uh, a lot of the the people I talked to who are experts in this field, they talked about how, you know, uh, from their point of view, there were, you know, our, our ancestors, there were dangerous predators in the bushes. And so anytime the wind blows and there's a rustling, our brains immediately went to fight or flight. And the people who are the most skeptical, the most suspicious were the ones that tended to survive. And there's almost this, uh, the way they talked about it is an evolutionary instinct that kind of led us towards wanting to know where the danger is going to come from. And so you can make of all that whatever you want, but there is something about our brains that wants a simple, clear enemy, a simple, clear explanation of where the danger is so that we can size it up, know what it is and know how to respond to it. And so, you know, to, to start off, not talking just about evangelicals, this is like a, all humans are like this. So Mm -hmm. according to a survey that was done not too long ago, about a little over 50% of respondents thought that the government was covering up at least a little bit of info info about 9-11, which is a kind of a horrifying idea that our government would be lying to us about something about that. But like considering the alternative, that there were a small group of people who hated America so much that they were able to hijack one of our most popular forms of transportation and use it as a terrorist tool. And our government was too incompetent to stop it. And, oh, yeah, we also armed these people a few decades back and we're kind of the reason they exist. Well, that creates a lot of ambivalence. That creates a lot of confusion. It's like, what do we do with that? Like, what's the answer to that? And it's like, well, it's really complicated. And our brain's like, but I'm scared and I need something I need a more concrete reason. And so it's like, well, the government is covering stuff up. It's like, oh, the government's not to be trusted. They're the enemy. They're the problem. That's actually more reassuring to our brains than the alternative. And I think what's fascinating is the crossover. As I was doing all this stuff, I didn't write in the article at all about evangelical culture or any of that stuff. But what was fascinating to me was realizing how much of an intersection there is of the evangelical theology worldview and conspiratorial thinking is so Mm -hmm. much overlap. And what was fascinating is as I went back and read this Peretti book, this is the first time I cracked that thing open in a long time. 
and being like, oh, this is just conspiracy theory 101. That's all it is. I mean, it's, and it's, I mean, I don't mean that to necessarily take, that's not necessarily a, a criticism, although I do have criticisms, but I mean, he just basically took the 1970s conspiracy movie trope. I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He basically made Invasion of the Body Snatchers for evangelical Christians. It's really interesting. Wow. And yeah, I think it's worth pointing out that this is a really popular genre of books in general, right? Like, totally. um, like even thinking about like the Da Vinci Code in, in later years. And totally. I, I don't know. Would you say like John Grisham and Michael Crichton have a little bit element of that? I, I don't know. It's just thrillers. kind of science f- uh, more in like the science fiction, like science yeah. is out of control and is going to kill you. John Grisham's. Yeah. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't even know how I would qualify that, but there's definitely, I think in all of our art, whatever it is there we're fascinated by this idea that there's a conspiracy at foot and that it's um if we're not careful it's going to get us uh that's that's hugely popular and when it melds with theology it gets really really weird yeah and i wonder as you were talking about conspiracy theories a question that came up for me was you know we're trying to deal with ambiguity is this a way we exert control like we 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 convince ourselves we have control over our lives because that's been a huge theme about why this present darkness exploded in popularity hmm. is this belief that it really allowed people hmm. to be able to say you know I'm a Christian I was promised everything would be great but it's like not great um wow. what's going on oh it's probably demons oh mm-hmm. I might have some control over this if I just hmm. Pray one prayer, um, invoking the blood of Jesus. And mm. so I'm just wondering if that has anything to do with conspiracy. Yeah, uh, no, no, it absolutely does. That's fascinating. I, I think there's a lot of good points you just made there I hadn't thought of. Uh, yeah, conspiracy theories. And, and I mean, it's in a simple, I mean, I think what was interesting to me is as I wrote the article, it actually, my sympathy for conspiratorial thinking grew because ultimately we're living in a world that is. Uh, chaotic that is complicated we are in control of our lives and we're not naturally wired for that we want to feel that way it is a human impulse to want to feel like you're in control and to not feel that way is destabilizing um that's that's a normal human feeling to have but you're 100 right that as christians that's not our view of the world our view of the world has never been that we have control over it. Uh, the view, you know, the view of the world is like, no, we live in a chaotic, a chaotic world in which things are not as they should be. Uh, yet there is a God who is slowly making all things new and inviting us to be a part of that. But that's not control. <laughs> that, right. If anything, it's it's a relinquishing of control and saying, "Use me, however you will, to be a part of your redemption plan." But that's that's scary. <laughs> that involves trust. That involves letting go of our sense of what makes us safe. And conspiratorial thinking 100% is about trying to find safety, control, simplicity in a world that's not that way. Um, we wow. will we will gravitate toward easy answers or or maybe not easy answers, but simpler answers. Yeah. That even, even if the answers are kind of horrifying because it makes us feel like we at least understand what's going on and we know what to do in response to it. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think people were drawn to Frank Preddy's writing in This Present Darkness because he is not a boring writer. You know, all this Mm. monsters and demons and angels Mm. stuff. 
but yeah, also this sense of how can I have control within a Christian worldview? Um, and I think, but I think it's like, I think we have to like, look at the fact that it's not that just that Peretti, how do I put this? Peretti was not just giving people's brains something that they're naturally wired for. Although, I mean, that's very much part of it. I think we also have to recognize he was writing out of an theological point of view that was very, very common that inclines itself toward that. And so, you know, like you look at post-World War One, um, you have this big theological movement that believes, okay, now that this big war is over, we see all this innovation, we see all these good things happening, and the kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness, in its completion here right now, and we're going to bring it here. And then World War II happens. Yeah. And people are like, oh, man, maybe maybe we got that wrong because it seems like things are actually getting worse. And this uh, strong theological pushback occurs that says, actually, the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until it gets so bad that that Jesus shows back up and raptures his people out of it and saves yeah. them. Well, if that's your point of view, I mean— and and this doesn't necessarily i'm not saying that what i'm saying right now necessarily makes that point of view right or wrong we could debate the merits of it if we wanted to but i am saying that point of view starts you from the assumption that the world around you is not to be trusted because ultimately things end with the world around you out to get you to the point where it's so bad that god has to pull you out of it and so that's the end game and so we're looking around waiting for that to happen right and if you look at Peretti's, all of Peretti's writings really um, including this present darkness, what you see is him being like, yeah, that's the case. This is where it's happening. See, these all these institutions out there are not, they are actively against you. They are tools of demons. Um, and the best you can really do is kind of slow that down. The best you can do is kind of like through these, you know, praying through getting the angels on your side, whatever, you can kind of stave it off. But that's the inevitable end, right? I mean, that's where it's all heading. Oh, that's fascinating. Because I think I do get really confused about how this theology of is God redeeming the world or is the world <laughs> being condemned until God returns, you know, yeah. to start afresh or whatever, how that sort of plays out. I, I think evangelicals have a little bit of a double mind about all this, you know, like <laughs> we can right, see that yeah. in national politics for sure, yeah. right? Like yeah. even people, you know, with, Israel and everything going on with Donald Trump, like he's going to usher in the end times or actually yeah. he's going to protect Christians from being persecuted. I'm like, mm -hmm. it's, what you're saying is sounds at odds to me, but anyways. Um, yeah. So I want to kind of dig into some of these little conspiracy theories. You mentioned, you know, Peretti is saying there's these institutions or organizations that are actively fighting against mm -hmm. God's work. And so that includes the college yeah. in this town so like higher education mm -hmm. and then we had another guest on talking about how Peretti was sort of like a little bit unique because he was really anti-corporations and like conglomerates hmm. Hmm. okay <laughs> the omni corporation is like this big multi-global that's not a bad know. point of view yeah i like yeah, that too. so um that's something and then also i i really sense this theme of like mainline churches or like <laughs> yep. anybody who didn't expressly hold yeah. to one you know very evangelical charismatic theology they were basically demon possessed right yes yeah they are active tools of demons to of the devil Sa to bring satan's world satan's world order into being yes and i definitely was sort of raised that way 
like mainline to, denomination. To believe that? Oh, you were raised Christian. mainline. No, I was not raised mainline. I was raised oh, sorry. to believe that they were not really even Me too. believers. Me too. Catholics aren't. Yeah, it's like we're we're, we're start about Catholics. Yeah, no. Jeez. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I read. I read a. This is kind of like this has been on my mind. I, I remember reading around the same time. It was like before Left Behind. There was there's there's been a long history of like rapture the, like rapture fiction books, and I remember one that made. I believe made the Pope the Antichrist. Oh, of course. This <laughs> does like, not geez. surprise me. It's so sad. Yeah. When, you know, my current worldview would be more like, what did Jesus say? If they're not working against us, they're with us, right? <laughs> you know, this may be my pragmatic side at this point. Like I, yeah, I mean I'm not i I'm not saying anything new. I'm I'm this is kind of cliche what I'm about to say, but I think we will be my my uh, many of my evangelical brothers and sisters will be shocked at who make it is in heaven it's right like, yeah it was a lot more inclusive than you thought guys well according to this book uh this present darkness like hardly mm-hmm. anybody's getting into heaven and you make one tiny mistake you go to mm. you go to a college and just try mm. and figure out what is true and what is not and boom man you are demon possessed and then you end up taking your own life and you'll be separated for all of eternity from god 100%. like that's literally what this book says yeah no, it's horrifying. I mean, the implications, this is what's so frustrating is, you know, I read all this stuff and I, I wasn't thinking as a sixth grader about all the implications of so much, but you go back and you think about it and you're like, there's a lot of implications in this that are really horrifying, that are really problematic, that are really scary. This idea that this was, and it's not just scary to me that he wrote it. It's not even scary to me that the book was popular. It's that I don't see this being it. This is in line with all the things that were happening around me. Like this book in no way is like, all he did was take something that was actively believed and focused on in the world I grew up in. And he was just putting it in a fiction format, um, a fairly effective fiction format. Um, but yeah. it's like, what's troubling is how normal this feels to me as I'm reading. It. I'm like, Oh yeah, I thought all these things. Yeah. So if you could maybe go back and you mentioned how evangelical theology, you know, sort of uniquely mm-hmm. intersects with conspiratorial thinking what did you mean when you said that? Yeah, I mean, if you believe that the world is doomed to get worse and worse, and that eventually it's going to get so bad, um, then you are, and that you are the, you're, you and your community are the good people. And that the world out there is the bad people who aren't to be trusted. Then the moment someone gives you a explanation that seems to make sense that falls in line with that, then you're just going to gobble it up. And I mean, so you look at Frank Preddy's book and it's like, yeah, the universities are evil because they are introducing you to ways of thinking that are going to get you demon possessed. And the police are evil because they are out to get you. And um, I mean, uh, I know we're not talking about piercing the darkness, but in there it's like, and you know who else is evil? The entire child protective services are evil yeah. and the ACLU are evil. Yeah. And it's like, all of these people are evil. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it, it means that every institution outside of your world is not to be trusted. The powers that be that are out there are out to get you. And so anytime someone gives you a reasonable sounding explanation, uh, uh, theory saying that you're gonna be like well that fits into my theology right that fits my view of the world and what i should expect and so what initially happened in evangelicalism is people just kind of went in their turtle shells and said we're gonna ride it out and best of luck to the rest of y'all and you know when we'll just be you know the 
the huddle of of saved masses over here waiting for it all. And then there was a pushback to that and the moral majority movement and all that that said, no, we're going to, you know, there's not, there's still hope. We can still reclaim American society and maybe, maybe stave off this like inevitable slide into the end times for a little while. And it became a battle of us against them, our, our community, our people against their people. But all of it is just playing into a conspiratorial way of thinking. And in conspiracy theories, part of it is that if you are looking for a scapegoat for your problems, you will find one. And so I write about this in the article, the uh, Great Chicago Fire at the end of the 1800s is this random confluence of a drought and high winds and a city that is made entirely out of wood and a random ember more than likely that gets caught in the wind and ends up dislocating a hundred thousand people and destroys a third of the the town. So you can either, if you're them, accept that random chance burned down a third of your city, or you can accept the conspiracy theory that tells you that the Irish immigrant because, you know, immigrants are always not to be trusted, of course, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Irish immigrant, she who's who's bitter that she's always been at the outside of American society and isn't allowed to be like that she actually is the real enemy and that she deliberately started the fire out, out of out of bitterness and revenge mm-hmm. at the American culture around her that she didn't get to participate in, which if that sounds kind of familiar, yeah, yeah. we're always we're always looking for a scapegoat because, our, I think part of the reason is our brains are wired for it and our theology, the evangelical theology, inclines itself toward that. Of saying, yeah, you should assume that the world around you, the institutions around you are bent toward evil. And even if they don't know it, they are tools of the enemy and they will be – they're not on your side. They're not to be trusted. Yeah. And so I – the reason why I want to do an entire freaking – series on this one book is because exactly what you're laying out is so important. And I think, you know, another guest we had on this show was Lisa Sharon Harper. And she basically Mm -hmm. said this present darkness is a spiritualization and novelization of, you know, the culture wars. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're making some ties between conspiratorial thinking and the culture wars, which is kind of what I was thinking you were going to (laughs) do. And what's fascinating to me is growing up within that movement. And, um, you know, I thought I was being told to withdraw from the world. Right. So I Hmm. read this present darkness. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to go to a liberal school. Like Mm -hmm. never, I would never, you know, I was homeschooled pastor's kid, very sheltered. So we were doing the whole, you stick your neck down, you know, yeah, just, we're just going to try and survive the tribulations, um, without getting the mark of the beast, you know, like we were were all (laughs) in and I don't even want to get into all that later on. You know, I think that, during Obama's presidency, right, some of the rhetoric I was hearing mm-hmm. about being this, you know, embattled minority remnant, which Frank Preddy uses the word remnant a lot to describe this very core group of people who are the only true believers. Um, I just started to think, wait a minute, what is the what is what is going on? It doesn't mm-hmm. really seem like we're happy with retreating. And, you know, I think when 2016 happened, it was a huge wake up call to me personally that mm. we weren't actually being taught to retreat. We were being Mm. taught to retreat, shore up, and then come in and take power as a minority. 
Interesting. Yeah. I I think what's part of what I'm hearing in that is just even the diversity of our evangelical cultures we grew up in, because I was taught mine very much, very, very much was retreat from the areas that are corrupted and not to be trusted, but train your mind to think about things from a quote-unquote Christian point of view. Understand everything in the world from a Christian point of view. Get your Christian worldview training and then go out into, hey, I know, and then go out into politics, go out into business, go out into whatever and institute your Christian worldview training where you're at. And so, uh, gosh, like this is a part of my history I don't love admitting to. But like back when I was in college, I interned for the Family Research Council, like where I learned like, you know, here's how we're going to like take back, you know, the like a Christian world, like a Christian view of the world through politics and all this stuff. And it's like, for me, it's always been combative. It's always been don't trust those people out there because they're not on our side. They don't think the right way. Think the right way here and then use that to like, I mean, it's a war. It's like gain ground, extend your lines, take over enemy territory, you know, win it back for Jesus. Like that's that's 100 percent the world that I was raised in. And I think what's fascinating is when you distill it down to its essence, then it means we are at war with our neighbors. <laughs> is that not biblical? <laughs> <laughs> is that in the Bible? Is it's, that, in the, yeah. it's in the Old Testament sometimes, of course. Um, sure. I mean, it, how did Jesus sum up all the law <laughs> and the prophets? Um, well, we like to like go to that Old Testament stuff. We just ignore the part where God over and over and over it says like, no, what I wanted for you was mercy toward the poor and kindness toward the immigrants. And where that's like one of like the right. three big things that he always tells the, the Israel that they're failing at. But yeah, right. that stuff's inconvenient. Right. And so what are we talking I, about again? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, your experience, my own experience, you know, it all does come back to this, this issue of power. And mm -hmm. um, I think this present darkness really sets the scene for, yes, we are in the minority and we, there's still ways to access power and there's still ways to be victorious, um, which mm -hmm. I see, you know, having such long reaching consequences. I mean, I think that on Twitter today, I saw that Liberty University is starting yeah. some program or something think tank. I don't even know, but they literally address the teachings of Jesus saying to turn the other <laughs> cheek. Like there's no time for that now. That's it's time to go to war with your neighbor if they're going to take away our guns. It literally says that whole turn the other cheek thing. It's like, yeah, that doesn't really work. It doesn't <laughs> like, work when we're talking about guns in the U.S. Um, 100%. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think what's another piece of this is there's two dangers that I think are universal. Well, that's probably a lot of dangers, but there's two that I've been focusing on lately. One of them is this con conspiratorial thinking that puts us at odds with the world around us. and But the other part is... And this ties into the rest of my writing, which is narcissism, which is the belief I'm the good person, me and my tribe, we're the good people, and they're the bad people. And when you buy into that way of thinking, which is, to me, more concerning than the conspiratorial point of view that comes through this present darkness, is the belief that we are on the side of good. And anything that comes against us is on the side of evil, mm. anything. And so anything that anyone would say bad about any of the heroes of our story is a spirit, literally a demonic attack, including, let's say, hypothetically, that um, a dad, his daughter accuses him of molesting her or a pastor is accused of rape. In both those cases, those are strategic demonic attacks to take out God's people. 
Oh, now you're going there, Josh. That has not Uh, aged well. Yeah, so (laughs) you are referring to um, some actual plot points in this present darkness, and I, I have totally lost count, but I believe it's four different men in this present darkness alone mm. are falsely accused of um, either rape or yeah, molesting their own children. And it's all the work of demons, right? Yep. And these, these men are always spotless, blameless, mm-hmm. um, and to believe, to be believed at all costs. Yeah. And well, I, it's because they're the good guys. Right. And like what, I, I don't even know how to process that this was mm-hmm. such a huge plot point that none of us really seemed troubled by when we read it back but then. Of course, but of course we weren't. I mean, uh, of course we weren't. Like, I mean, this is where, I mean, this is where I'll get worked up. <laughs> if you think I have, I've been calm up to this point. This is me <laughs> calm so far. Um, because like, listen, conspiracy theories, all that stuff. That, that was a fun article to write. The other stuff where I'm reporting on like i wrote a story for the new republic about bill gothard and iblp and and i don't know how familiar you are with him but like i've I've interviewed dozens literally dozens of people who they're the they're the women in this story they're the ones that accused the pastor that accused their dad that accused the important godly person and weren't believed Mm. and we have actively been refusing to see this for decades. Like it's not, I mean, we just, we have not wanted to see it because what does that say about us? If we're the good guys, how can that possibly be happening inside of our house? It doesn't fit with our theology. It doesn't fit, which ironically, it does fit with the theology that says like all have sinned, everything has fallen, nothing is untouched. by. But we, when we slip into this way of thinking that is us versus them, that's like the powers that be out there are out to get us. And we're the good people who are fighting that off. Well, if we're the good people, our pastors can't be abusing people. Our deacons can't be abusing their own daughters. Like that can't be the case. And it is horrifyingly troubling to me that I was reading this book in sixth grade at the same, around the same time that I experienced sexual abuse and that that was the message that was being subconsciously placed in my brain. If mm-hmm. I, this is the part where it's like, if I ever talked with Pretty, I'd be like, dude, what's going on, man? Like that, yeah. there is something horribly disturbing about the way sexual abuse is treated in this book. It's, it's, it's awful. Yeah. And I, and I do think even though it was written in a different time, like there's no excuse for using no. that multiple, multiple times. And I believe it's a theme that even goes into his second book. Um, it is just as bad, maybe even, I don't know if we're, eh, why, why talk about worse? Just really bad. It's really bad. Okay. I haven't reread yeah. Piercing the Darkness just because I think I read that one a lot more too as a kid. And I was like, I don't even want to go back to that. I mean, I remember a little girl getting demon possessed by doing yoga in public school. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that. about, that's about right. And, and what child protective curious? services is, yeah. are the bad guys as well. Which also and just. Another is- falsely accused white man. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what to do. I mean. Well, I think part of it is, I mean, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm, part of it is you do podcasts like this, where we call this stuff out. I mean, that's obviously, I'm not going to claim podcasts are going to save the world, but like, part of it is us owning it and us having conversations where we invite people to look back at the heritage that we had and say, 
y'all, we need to, we need to really look at what we did. Um, we really need to look at like, this was like our number one best-selling book. (laughs) This was the one that like changed, like revolution, like just like waves through evangelical culture. And you look back at it and almost every rotten fruit that you see that's come out of evangelicalism, you can see it in this book. You can, you can see the, you can see, you can see the mentality that led to our obsession with power that led toward our belief that like, the, there are like bad guys out there in politics or whatever that we have to fight back against um, our way of thinking about sexual abuse, our way of thinking about the church as being this beautiful, perfect city on a hill. Like it's all there. Yeah. And even that like bad or evil is easily controllable. And therefore, mm. you know, if you still mm. are oppressed or all these things and you must be doing something wrong, I think is another oh, way. So yeah. it's a little bit of like a prosperity gospel, not prosperity gospel. I've explained it other ways is just sort of like a pagan worldview, right? You mm, cast a certain good. spell, almost like Harry Potter, right? If you just say, blood of Jesus, cover me in the name of Jesus, come out, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and if, if this guy was just using, if Freddie was just using common literary tropes uh, and that's all it was, I'm like, okay, whatever. But it's, it's that this stuff. I was being actively taught this stuff in Sunday school from the stage, from all like, this is the world I grew up in. It's like, this wasn't just fiction. This was, this is a document of like a time, a point of view in time that we have seen the damage that it's done. And it's like, it sounds extreme, but it's like, I go back and read this. It's like, it's soul crushing. It's really bad. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't think a ton of people are going to go back and read the whole books, which I don't think they should because they're really long, actually. Um, and not but, as well written as I remember. I mean, he he knows how to like pace it, but the dialogue is rough. Yeah. And all his characters are, oh my gosh, the Christians are like cardboard cutouts. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it is, it was a really impactful book. We do need to talk about it. I always feel this sense in in me, and I think this actually is a part of um, whiteness, is I, I just want to fix mm-hmm. it really quickly. And I just mm-hmm. want to say, first of all, I want to downplay the damage. Like, well, there are some good parts and we should be spiritually aware, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't know how to fix it. And I'm just a child mm-hmm. of evangelicalism, you know, trying to be honest about yeah. my past as I'm trying to move forward with a faith in a good God who loves all my neighbors um, as I'm surrounded by Christians who continually use metaphors of war um, just nonstop. And I think part of it is us, I mean, first of all, really ruthlessly living it out in our lives. And then the second thing is like just calling out, like you nailed it. I mean, right out of the gate, what you said, I think is, is the perfect way of talking about all this. It's about power. It's about control, a control. It's about control. Like we're desiring to control the world around us so that we will feel safe. And the reality is that is antichrist theology. (laughs) That is anti, it is anti-biblical. It is anti everything we've ever been taught and told, and we should know better. And when you distill it down to that, I think that's what we have to come back to is like, no, it's like, I was just talking with a young adult group I help out with about like Psalm 23. And it's like, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which we all will, I won't fear evil because you're with me. Not because it's safe. It's not safe. It's not safe. We are walking through a a dark, 
we are walking through a place where things don't make sense and where there is legitimate danger and where there's tragedy and chaos and things are unpredictable and tragedy can happen at any moment. And yet we hold on to Jesus and believe that one day all things are going to be made right again and that we get to participate in that. Um, but it's not out of control. It's out of a surrendering of control, letting go of it and just saying, do whatever you will with me. And that's what's so infuriating when I look at, especially the political side of things right now. It's like, how do we got it so backwards? We got it so backwards. Yeah. And again, I think it's good for you. You know, you mentioned you have empathy for conspiratorial thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to recognize like, yeah, this is not just an evangelical issue. This is not just a religious mm -hmm. right issue. If you look at like progressive Twitter, oh my gosh, there's a <laughs> lot of that going on too. Um, and, and that narcissism of thinking like I, I alone am right. Mm -hmm. You know, these are issues all of us need to continually work through. They're not going to just go away because we want them away. If we've been discipled to think like that, but I just want to say really quick, um, I think that you interviewing survivors of sexual abuse within evangelicalism mm -hmm. and highlighting their stories and telling the truth about abusers, like to me, that's the best response possible to some mm -hmm. of these theologies. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I know it, I know it's not easy work and I know holding those stories isn't easy, but um, mm. thank you for writing. And can you just mention for us again, a few places where people can find those articles? Yeah. If, if you know, as people are listening to this, if like, you know, I really want to hear more about these really dark topics. Um, my website, Joshua Pease, uh, P E A S E Joshua Pease.co. Um, it's my website where a lot of the big articles I've written are. I need to get the conspiracy theory up there. I'll try to do that today. Okay. Um, but you can read us all of the stuff about sexual abuse and all of that is there. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, it's at Joshua D as in David P E A S E. Um, and <laughs> yeah, you can hear all my angsty ennui about the state of things pouring out on Twitter. Oh, we all need more of that in our lives. I yeah, think. of course. <laughs> There's like a crew of us that have been, I mean, that's how this podcast happened. This is like, I just happened to find you on Twitter and be like, hey, here's someone else who's really sad about the state of things. And wants oh, things to my brand is really sad about things. I love it. And uh, <laughs> and I, I was trying to describe it at my church the other day because we were talking about some end time stuff at church. And I'm like, mm. I'm just really into overthinking evangelicalism <laughs> and the values that shape it. And so, yeah, power is is a huge one that. I keep coming mm -hmm. back to, but mm -hmm. this has been a fascinating conversation. I've learned a ton and I know other people will, I think, I think you probably just blew a few people's brains a little bit, but <laughs> I'm honored to get to be a part of it. I mean, we're all trying to figure this out together and, uh, and, and figure out what to do from here. And so thank you for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. Yeah, it was sure. great. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what did you, what was like coming up for you as you were re-listening to this episode? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to sound stupid when I talk about this, but it was really helpful just to crystallize why evangelical Christians in particular are still pro-Trump, even though like he has bungled this coronavirus thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, people will die. Many people will die because of him saying this was a hoax. This was a, you know, a liberal agenda hoax. And they said that on Fox News. And, you know, and even like today, 
you know, the CDC is like, yeah, everybody, if you have access to a mask, you should wear it outside. And Trump's like, I'm not going to wear one. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, is that a hoax? Is science a hoax? Like, oh, my gosh. But I think really driving home this point about not trusting the government is just like kind of a hallmark of, I would say, that retreatist, fundamentalist, you know, um, way of if interacting with the world. And I, I kept being confused about Frank Purdy's book because I thought – he was saying, like, no, we can win. We can win in the here and now. But I, Joshua's point was, like, no, we can just, like, save like save it for now. Like, just hold off mm. a little bit longer. What do you think about that? Do you think in the end it's still, like, everything sucks and we can't trust it at all? Uh, yeah, I'm really unclear about that because I think you, you said it really well in the interview about you do sort of, like, there's this illogical part to it. Um but I think that there is this idea of like cult. I think that it fits right alongside evangelism. I think that's like kind of the like heart of it is like we need to be able to talk about Jesus. So even though the ship is going down, if the government is trying to keep us from doing that, then we need to fight back and we need to hold places of power. Right. That's the whole Francis Schaeffer thing is like we need to be in places of power. We need to create art. We need to like have an influence on culture. And I think that influence on culture has to do with evangelism. Okay. Does that have to do with evangelism or just like we are inherently superior moral people because we are Christians? Because that's really how it seems to play out to me. That's true. I guess that's a good, but that's the only way that I can like conceptualize it in that like it's all going down. Otherwise it does point to this like, well, you know, more of like, uh, like if we hold the power, then we will be moving more towards the kingdom of God, whatever that like millennial Right. Millennial view. Millennialist. So for me, it's like really crystallized the reality that, you know, many Republicans, obviously, and many people I grew up with are people who don't trust the government at all. And yet, like, are very into now running the government as well. Mm -hmm. And so thinking the reason why Trump continues to be so popular is because he isn't someone who's involved in the government. He's mm-hmm. he's terrible at it. He's such an outsider. And and that's actually part of his appeal. And I know so many people have said this. I've heard it said a million, billion times. And it really just clicked for me like, oh, my gosh, this is why he's not going to lose popularity at all. Like he is so far outside of all of those institutions um, that that reinforces our anti-government bias. While at the same time, you know, the one group he continually tries to win over is christians right saying i'll let you pray in school together whoever right. whatever he's saying this day you know oh so i think it just really depressed me in a way but it gave me some clarity and um yeah i don't know what to think about the government it's like i don't trust right. it yeah that's what i was gonna ask as i was listening to this i was like yeah how much do i trust the government how much do i believe in conspiracy theories because i'm not uh, yeah, I don't think that the I think that the government is totally capable and has done things behind the scenes that are super shady. I was trying to figure out where is that line between like what seems like reasonable <laughs> like conspiracy theorist and what's unreasonable. And I I think what I was trying to figure out like what is it that bothers me about uh Christian paranoia versus like 
You know, because I totally believe that, like, corporations are influencing the government in ways that are really harmful to people. Okay, do, do you have a real conspiracy theory that you believe in before we go down this road? Um, I don't think so. Other than, like, just, just like, kind of knowing a little bit about, like, the government's role in a lot of, uh, like, Central American countries, right? Which I don't know if those are, like, conspiracies as much as just, like, being very aware of, like that sort of thing happening and not being surprised at all. Yeah, I can't think of, like, uh, the only ones I can think of would be, like, really big or really depressing, but I remember there was one about, like, the Berenstein Bears, like, their name suddenly changed <laughs> to the Berenstein Bears or something like that, and okay. it was, like, wild. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do kind of believe in aliens, I don't know. She also sort of believes in the Loch Ness Monster. And Bigfoot. I don't know. I don't know. Did you know Bigfoot is just like whatever King Solomon turned into or anyway? Not Solomon, and Nebuchadnezzar. Right, yeah, there we go. Um <laughs> I Bible nerded you. Okay. Anyway, like I don't why, have a degree in Bible and theology. Why do Christian conspiracy theories bother you more? Because I think I totally understand like you're doing this because you want to exploit people, you're doing this because you wanna um profit off of people but when it comes to like very specifically they just don't want christians or they just are against our faith or whatever like that is like i think what really bothers me especially when it comes to the u.s government because like we are like have this christian nation history we like, hold a privileged position right in exactly society. right and so i think that really bothers me hmm. which is really different than like yeah i think that like corporations spend millions and millions of dollars to I mean I guess one thing is that I I feel like as voters we really have very 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 little power and I think that like corporations and businesses hold most of the sway about like the politics mm -hmm. so and you know we do try and be very present locally mm -hmm. involved in politics locally and then uh, for now I am fine with voting and doing all that stuff but you know there's heroes of mine that have been so distrustful of the system that they have not voted uh but for now i'm definitely in the like let's do some damage control uh mm -hmm. right yeah 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 so right, totally. i think it changed i don't but i feel so much better calling out power if i think they're going to be doing less damage than the opponent i guess mm -hmm. the, i mean you know lesser of two evils but i'm going to call out power no matter who it is Right. Because yeah. I definitely don't think it's going to go wonderfully. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was like the conversations that we got into a, with a lot of political conservatives when we were criticizing Trump right after his election. They're like, well, what about Hillary? And I'm like, I don't like I totally don't trust Hillary. Like, I don't trust the Democratic Party. I'm not like, saying, you know, I but... wish people would just say what they mean. Mm, what do you mean? Like, say what you mean. Well, when people say, what about Hillary? You know, everybody maybe has something that they're truly holding on to, right? Like, what if our Christian university loses its funding because we don't affirm same-sex marriage? Mm -hmm. and, you know what I mean? Like, right. what if uh, Hillary lets in more foreigners? You, you know, like, right. just that I just need people to say what they mean. And when Trump was elected, you know, people got really, especially Christians, got really snitty. 
Like, stop crying. God's in control. Like, obviously, he had his hand on Trump. And now I'm just like, yeah, 100,000 people are going to die due to coronavirus because Trump said it was a hoax. So that's why we cried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. This is, like, going off the rails, isn't it, Crispin? No, it's so uh, <laughs> a look into our life. So the, Mayfield the last thing I wanted to say is that I didn't get to talk to Joshua very much about it, but yeah, his writing does deal with survivors of sexual abuse within evangelical circles. You have an interview coming up with a therapist. You're going to dive more into that discussion. So I just wanted to make sure our listeners knew that we understand this is such a huge theme, a huge topic. This is not the only time we'll be discussing it. You discussed it in more uh, detail later on. And just um, I wanted to point out that there was a point in the interview where me and Joshua just kind of were like, we don't even know what to say about this in this particular twisting of if somebody is against me or accusing me of something, they have to be an agent of Satan because I'm a perfect, not even perfect, but I'm like God's chosen person. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that play out over and over and over and over again and leading to abuse within our churches, our communities, our families it's such a heavy topic, and I wanted to point out then when Joshua and I were talking, we were talking over Skype or Zoom, I can't remember what, but we could see each other's faces, and we both just sort of, like, got teary and just, like, stared at each other. And I, I want to say that I think pausing to lament is, like, really important in, in discussing some of these themes and all of that. And so I, I thought it was kind of cool that we were able to do that in the interview. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to give space for people listening, like – we aren't here to solve all these problems, and we're also not here to just, like, point fingers. We're here as people who are a part of this culture and who are grappling with it and want to, uh, you know, move forward in a world where abuse does not happen. Um, not on our watch. You know what I mean, Crispin? Yeah, I'm really excited um, about that interview with our friend Connie Baker, um, who talks about religious trauma and like what that looks like in a church system that actually I'll probably share a little bit on our next episode. Cause that was actually something I'm a, a survivor of sexual abuse. And when I actually confronted the person that abused me, that's literally what I was told was like, you're accusing me because you're being used by Satan and I'm chosen by God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just so ubiquitous. It's just like everywhere. And so a really important part of this. Um, and I think Connie does like a really great job. I'm excited about this interview to talk about like how the national politics that we're talking about and the, like the abuse of, of um, sexual abuse victims like fit together, right? It's like the same themes of power and dominance that we see everywhere. And so once you start having eyes to see it, Right then, you're able to stand up and you're able to to um, address these systems. Yeah, and that's like what I was experiencing as I was like re-listening to this interview with Joshua. Is like, oh my gosh, it's all fitting together. And I felt like that meme of that guy, you know, like putting up the red string everywhere and just like. (laughs) But I'm like, if anybody is like listening to this podcast or following me on Twitter, I'm I've been doing that for years. So I'm like, (laughs) this is just one more time of me being like, it's all about power. Ah, so sometimes I feel exhausted and then other times you're like, man, other people are feeling this way too. And it's important to be in these conversations together. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, you know, we always forget to talk about, we do have a Patreon (laughs) support us so that we can keep doing this stuff. And, um, I'm on Twitter, Dale Mayfield. 
Yep, and I'm on Twitter at k underscore underscore Mayfield. And you can email us at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Love getting those emails from y'all. Yeah, and uh, we will link, we, uh, in the show notes, we'll link to a few uh, pieces by Joshua. And then I, I think, Chris, and I'm going to have you, uh, you know, put in a few links there, too, just in case people want to do some reading about sexual abuse survivors mm. in the church and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great idea. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye.